Welcome to The Shift, where I'm here to help you adjust to the new. I'm your host, Jay Camille. As we carry on with our first season, I wanted to continue setting the scene for the young American dream. You know, the idea that we see on TV of leaving home to a new city, a new country, establishing a new community, going to a new college or starting a new career, and living the quote-unquote dream. Well, today we are going to continue on with discussing the shift that comes with starting a new career. However, this week is different from our last two episodes, because in this episode, we will talk about what happens when you switch to a new career. That's right. Imagine doing something for years that you've been trained in, perhaps something you may have even got your degree in. And then suddenly there's a shift when you decide it's time to switch. Switch to something new, something that you've never done before, and start a new career. Joining us today is a fellow podcaster, Shauna Gann. My name is Shauna Gann. I am originally from Anchorage, Alaska. I am a mom of two wonderful kiddos, 21 and 18. So it's it's kind of a strange thing to be moving into that new phase of life too, um, watching my kids grow up right before my eyes. Uh, I have been a military spouse. My husband is uh, going to be retiring from the Air Force very soon. And we met when I was in Anchorage and I have since followed him all around the world. And now we live just outside of DC and Northern Virginia. I guess we'll talk about this, but I was a teacher, an elementary school teacher for many years and then decided to make that shift. And now I'm a management consultant. That's a little bit about me. Awesome. Thank you, Shauna. Now, Shauna, I know you have a podcast, but I know our listeners don't. Uh, Please tell us about your podcast and your brand. Thank you. Uh, My show is called Our True Colors, and it is a show that really focuses on racial ambiguity. So this could mean someone that's multi-ethnic, multi-racial, or maybe monoracial, but often confused. Um, I'm an example of that. If someone were to see me, uh, a lot of times people ask me that question that many of us have heard, what are you? And um, it's, it's a it's one that's kind of tricky because you want to answer with grace, but also it's it's frustrating. Um, but I, I get it because people are confused by me. But I am black. I identify as a black woman. I just have light skin. And I know that there are other folks out there, my listeners, who can be someone like me that's not easily identifiable, let's say, racially speaking, or they are multi-ethnic. And this even, I even talk to folks who are um, maybe transracial adoptees. So someone that does identify monoracially, but their parents are not um, sharing the same ancestry as them. So we talk about all those kind of issues, what it's like navigating in a world that loves to see us and society in the binary of black and white when that is not always true for us. So you can find our true colors pretty much on any podcast platform, or you can visit the website truecolorscast.com to find out more. So I love it. And I love um, even your description of like the podcast and what the purpose is behind it. Because even with myself, although I'm like an African American woman, I have been asked before, am I from an island or am I from Africa? Like, and so it's definitely something good to get into. I know I've 
tuning in. I followed you on Instagram. Uh, and so I definitely encourage my listeners, um, especially people of color. And actually, you don't even have to be a person of color to just tune in um, and, you know, figure out something new, empathize with those around you. As we get into today's topic of switching careers, I heard you mention that you were a teacher. And I remember you and I talking before, and you were a teacher for 16 years, if I yeah. got the number yeah. right. And then <laughs> right. yeah. you, you decided to switch professions to a management consultant. Now, when I go to think to myself, I'm like, okay, Jasmine, how can, <laughs> how can you relate to this? Um, I mean, in college, I was a tutor for geology, as well as like a TA for um, this like class was called surveying. And I know when I got to the real world, like both of those professions actually helped me a lot in making that switch to engineering and where I'm at today because I needed to know about soil before setting a foundation on top of the soil as well as like surveying before actually putting a structure on there so those kinds of things helped me but um just out of curiosity was your (laughs) previous experience able to help you in your new role Oh, yes. So much. More than I thought. Um, It was pretty scary to make that decision um, because I had been teaching for so long. And and I taught little ones. I was an elementary school teacher, you know, most of the time teaching second and third graders. So to go from that to working in a corporate setting was a little daunting. But I knew that there were definitely skills that would transfer. Um, And my experience has helped me so much. But then once I got into the field and began the work, it was even more so. So I was like, I got this, okay. I mean, I still have imposter syndrome from time to time. I think that's normal, but definitely I could say it helped. That's awesome. So I noticed you just mentioned you taught little ones, which, oh my gosh, like (laughs) only time I have patients working with little ones is when it's like vacation Bible school at church or something. It's that one week of the year. And I'm like, all right, let's get this over with. (laughs) That's that's my one week of patience. But um, more power to you, especially for years and years. That's, that's amazing. And, you know, I definitely commend teachers all over the world right now. Um, one, just in general, because I know that that's a profession that's often like underpaid and you all pour so much value into the world, honestly, into people. Um, and then especially with COVID happening right now, I know it's a rough time for a lot of teachers doing things virtually. So more power to you for being in that profession. That is not for me. (laughs) I am a poor behind the books girl, mathematics. That's all me. Leading to my next question, were there any struggles you faced making this shift? I mean, I I have a couple friends who are also teachers, and I know it's hard when you get attached to your students. Were there any struggles you faced making this shift? And if so, how were you able to handle them? And then if you didn't have any, how were you able to avoid them? Yeah, well, I think to answer that, actually, I have to probably break this down a little bit more. So I was a teacher, but most of the time I was teaching overseas. So um, as I mentioned, I met my husband in Alaska and he's an Air Force guy, soon to retire. Um, And we pretty much, we spent about 15 years uh, abroad, uh, five years in Italy, um, four in Germany, three in Korea, and another three 
three for him, two for me in the Czech Republic. And so with that, I was part of this transient community anyway. So what you described about, you know, seeing the students and feeling like, oh no, you know, I'm never going to see them again, that kind of thing happened to me every year because most of my students were, you know, children of military families and they would be leaving and then it would be my turn to leave. So I, in a way, that was always heartbreaking to me. I became a teacher because of my great aunt, um, Aunt Bootsy, I called her. She uh, just was my inspiration through and through, but she lived in a small town in Pennsylvania like her entire life. So, you know, there came a point in her life where she went to get to some service building. She had to get some uh, something done and some business taken care of and realized the person that was helping her was her student that she taught in fifth grade, who was now like in his forties or something like that. And I was always so envious because I thought I will never have that experience. My students leave and they go around the world with their families or I go around. So I think that transition wasn't something that really stuck with me as being uh, a huge uh, barrier only because I was used to it um, because of that transient lifestyle. Um, I would say the the biggest challenges for me were, number one, I got in my own way a lot. I felt scared that I wouldn't be able to do this. And I should probably explain why I made the shift in the first place. So um, I loved teaching. That has actually, I, I shouldn't make that past tense. I still love teaching. And I do believe once a teacher, always a teacher. And I find myself still fulfilling that role, even in what I do today. It's just my students are different or the people I interact with, I should say, are different. You know, they're taller, they're older, <laughs> but it's still in me. Um, that doesn't go away. It's I did not leave teaching to run away from the kids. I loved the kids. In fact, it was probably the very opposite. I realized in the last several years of my career, I was getting more involved with policy, more things at the administrative level, um, working with our principals, working with superintendent at the um, district level. And I loved my job, but I realized every year I'm helping 20 some students, but if I could work at the policy level, I could make changes that could affect thousands of students in our district. So I decided to aim a bit higher to try to have more influence on, I was already in the field, right? I knew what was working, what wasn't working. I'm in touch with everyday teachers like myself at that time. And so that's what I wanted to do. Now, when I decided to start making the shift, we were stationed in South Korea, we were in Seoul. And uh, where I was working, that base, or it was a uh, garrison, was closing. And so the school would be closing and opportunities were becoming a bit more scarce to move up into some of those roles. The thing with education, at least in the public school system, is the career path is pretty narrow. You know, you're a teacher or you're an administrator of some kind and you might be able to have some other role. So the role that I was shooting for, I didn't get, unfortunately. And we were kind of at a crossroads where my husband was deciding whether or not he was going to retire then. He didn't. The Air Force dangled a carrot and sent us to Europe. So I decided I would still go on with my uh, change in career, but it would not be down the path of education. That's when I ran into a friend who she and I, 
you know, our kids were together in kindergarten. Fast forward, what, 12 years or something like that. I don't know. And she saw me and I told her what I was feeling, what I was thinking. And she asked me, have you ever considered going into organizational leadership? Because I was already doing facilitation, you know, trainings, um, working on policy, things like that. And I hadn't thought about it. So I decided, well, I do not want to get another master's. I'm going to go for the PhD. So I moved to Europe with my husband and stopped teaching, decided I was, I, now I did need a safety net. So I brought along with me like half my classroom just in case. Um, I knew where I could apply, but I decided I wouldn't do it. And instead, I got a job working at the U.S. Embassy as an assistant to our general services officer while I started my new uh, program in organizational leadership. And in that very first course, I met people called IO psychologists, and I had never heard of that before. So it's an industrial and organizational psychologist. And I was like, what are these people talking about? They're all introducing themselves. And I'm an IO psychologist. I only thought of psychologists as like clinical psychologists. So I had no idea what this was. So I looked it up and I was like, oh my God, these are my people. Like they were, it was all about like, you know, um, diagnosing problems in systems and organizations and affecting change and knowing people and organizational development and all of these beautiful, beautiful, extra nerdy things that I super love. So I was like, I want to do this. And um, I changed my program. So now I am about six months away from completing my PhD in business psychology. <laughs> so that's kind of how that happened. Um, but in the truth of it is, the, the barriers were more about me, my fear of stepping out and doing it. My And I still get this, you know, I have insecurities about, am I really good enough? Or will people trust me uh, to lead this project or this team when all they see on my resume is that I was an elementary school teacher? And the answer to that is, guess what? They do. And it works. And I am doing it. And I still have those bouts, you know, I still wrestle with it sometimes. But then I just realized, well, actually, I'm living in the present and this is happening and I'm doing it. And the truth is, I absolutely love it. So that um, that's kind of been a way to overcome that is just knowing that what I'm doing, I'm loving and it's making a difference to people. So that was probably a very long way to explain that. <laughs> no, but. no, 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 no. You're completely fine. And I mean, I, I love it. It honestly makes me think of myself and some things when I remember my first job out of college or I'm sorry out of high school I was working um in sales I was working at a store called Rue 21 I'm sure you've probably heard of it it's like forever 21 but the low scale version and, um and so I was working there like part of high school and then like even a little bit after I had got out of high school and I just remember I had been asked first did I want to become the assistant manager then the like general manager because I was I was good in sales but for some reason I was like I just don't know if this is what I want to do for the rest of my life and then you know I really just did some deep soul searching and I was like yeah no like it's not to say sales is bad it was just like for me I knew that my purpose wasn't there um much like you were talking about you wanted to make a change at a higher level I knew with the skills that I had in math and science from like school, I was like, I can make a change by producing cleaner water for someone in another country. And, you know, for several people in another country, I can um, make better 
infrastructure that's not so heavily impacted by earthquakes and tornadoes and all these things. And I was like, yeah, no, like, you know, this is great, but I, I knew my purpose wasn't there. So I just, I love that, you know, the first thing that stuck out to me and what you said was I, I wanted to aim higher. And I feel like, you know, our listeners can definitely take something from that. If you're thinking about making a career switch and you're like, you know, I want to do more, I want to aim higher, like, you know, the sky is the limit, go for it. It's never too late to step out on a whim and try something new. And clearly you've been successful in it <laughs> and you're about to get your PhD. Like, oh my Yay. gosh, congratulations. <laughs> Girl, Thank you. I just felt I like I was wait. dying getting a bachelor's in engineering. So <laughs> more power to you in getting a PhD. Um, that's, that's awesome. Um, that's amazing. So Thank you. <laughs> you're more than welcome. So listening to you, I, I noticed how you mentioned your aunt who was also a teacher before you, but in making this career switch, did you know someone who was already in this career to give you an honest insider's perspective? Like if so, how did this help you? And if not, like how did you stay afloat and adjust to the career? I know that is where like high schoolers and even those in college may have a little bit of a different experience because Sometimes there's job shadowing programs that people can get into. There's internships that like college students can go through or actually you don't even have to still be in, well, yeah, you do stop being college to get an internship. <laughs> um, but you know, there's like internship programs. There's, you know, all different kinds of things that are available that if someone's like, okay, I want to try this and then change their mind and realize it's not for me, that they can, they have the flexibility to do that. But in your case, I mean, did you know someone who could give you that insider's view Yeah, in your new field? So the truth is no, <laughs> um, I didn't. Um, I had that uh, colleague of mine who suggested the organizational leadership. And I mean, it made sense to me to go to think about leadership because I was already doing like I, before I left my school, uh, that last school that I taught at, you know, at that point I was um, chairing a mentorship program for new teachers or teachers who were transferring. I was uh, developing training, leading training sessions. I was a department chair. I was doing all of these leadership things. I served on the leadership committee and uh, it made sense to go into the organizational leadership. I had no idea that I would end up in consulting. In fact, part of the reason I checked out that funky IO psychology thing that people were talking about is because I had never heard of it. And I, I kept saying to my husband, I was like, this is cool. I like the classes in this organizational leadership, but like, what do you put on your business card? Hi, I'm Sean again. I'm an organizational leader. Like, what do you, like, what do you put? Now I know, but I know better now, like what people do. But at that time I had no, I was like, what am I going to do with it? And then when I read what an IO psychologist was and it just matched like everything about me and what I love and all like, I'm a puzzle solver. Like I love doing problem solving. I love puzzles and um, solving um, issues, doing solutioning, all of that stuff. Um, so that just made sense to me. It really wasn't until I got deeper into the program, had 
uh, like she's still amazing. I have an amazing mentor that's in my program. She's a professor there. And then I started to meet uh, and get closer to folks that were part of my cohort. They, a lot of them, their backgrounds, like some of them have MBAs. Some of, you know, they introduce themselves. I'm so-and-so. I have my MBA from such and such a university and I own my own business. And I'm, and I'm like, hi, I'm Shauna. I was a third grade teacher. Um, well, I'm still here to rock it with y'all. <laughs> like, it felt so odd. But I began to get to know that aspect through my cohort. Then when I knew that I was going to be coming back to the States, um, just before that, I happened to meet somebody who's actually a good friend of mine now. Um, we met at our residency. So every couple of years, you know, at least twice in this program, we are supposed to uh, go to Chicago, my, my university is in Chicago, and take part in this residency. And I met her, and she's about a year or so ahead of me in the program at the time. And she was so excited because she just got this new job at, in this place in D.C. And I was like, that's awesome. And, you know, so I kept in touch with her. And then once I knew for sure I was committed to this and coming back to the area, she was probably the next person to really help me, to really help me have that confidence that that would be the smartest move for me or, or that it would be a great move for me. And, and it was true. So. Shauna, I love how you talked about the stories um, with your friends. I mean, honestly, it just sounded like you had great friends around you, a friend that connected you to where you're at now. Uh, you mentioned your like cohort and then your friend when you were transitioning back to the States. Was that the same friend or like a different friend? Yeah, so she's not really part of my my cohort. She's actually ahead of me in the program. Um, so it was it was nice to even have that additional support, you know, um, that That's person awesome. to remind me that, yes, I could do this on the times <laughs> when I felt like, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And that's so essential. I remember when I started working as an engineer, especially as a woman of color, you're a double minority in that field. And I just remember walking in the first day like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. Oh my gosh, mm -hmm. there aren't a lot of people who look like me. There aren't a lot of women here. Like, what am I going to do? And I just remember um, this mentor I have, she talked with me that day. And she was like, you deserve to be here. You are enough. Yeah. She's like, you know, your credentials is what got you here. Your resume, you put in the work just like everyone else did. Like you deserve to be here. And so even I know, you know, when you talk about like, oh, I'm just, I'm just a teacher. And then like they have their MBA or this and this, but obviously, you know, you had that person who was, you know, a little bit above you to say, no, you got your foot in here just like everyone else did and you deserve to be here too. So that's, that's awesome that you have someone that you can look to for that. Yeah. I mean, I know the listeners can't see, but I just made this like really goofy face because you said you are enough. And one thing that I think that is so important is the power of a mentor to take it another step, and, and really I'm speaking a lot to women of color right now, uh, particularly black women, when we talk about, I don't know if you get into intersectionality and those kind of things, you know, when you are a double minority, let's say, sometimes triple, there's a lot of that, you know, makes a person who they are that can be barriers. Um, beyond having a mentor, I think it's so important to have a sponsor. 
And so recently, um, I have had that great fortune. Uh, someone who as, is in a much higher level than me in my company has taken notice um, to what I do and the, my performance and what I bring um, to add value to what we do at our company. And I at first wasn't super trusting, like, I don't know, you know, I, it, it takes me a minute to warm up to kind of make sure I'm understanding what the intent is and where we're going with this. And, and I don't want to uh, get burned or disappointed. But then I realized like, no, this person is sincere. And um, he recognized how difficult it is in a, a field like yours or like mine where it's dominated by white men. Um, not to say that white men aren't perfectly, you know, talented and can do a fantastic job. It's just that so can others. And he That's recognized true. that and was like, you know what? This is what we need to work on. This is what we need to do. And I think that is so important. And there was a day that we were having a conversation very recently, actually, where I said, you know, I just look around and I want to make sure that I am able to advance. I am able to do this, even though I'm coming in late in the game, because I used to like, you know, roll with eight year olds. But he, he was like, you ever, you ever read Brene Brown? And I'm like, I know Brene Brown, you know, and he was like, he looked at me because it was, you know, it's we're in the time of COVID. So everything was, you know, screen conversation. And he looked at me and he said, Shauna, you are enough. You need to believe mm -hmm. that you are enough. And so when you said that, I was like, ah! <laughs> because, awesome. yeah, I just think that's so important. And we do have to believe in ourselves, you know. Yeah, we we come with what we need. We already do. It's just about uncovering it and trusting yourself that you're ready to deliver. Amen. That is so true. Um, all of that I agree with. And it's it's wild, actually. So how you're doing a collaboration with me. I recently did a collaboration with someone else talking about being yourself's number one fan and mm. reminding yourself that you are enough and being your like cheerleader behind closed doors because you know you it's great when you have that sponsor or other people saying that to you but if you don't believe that for yourself you're not going to come in every day with that motivation that I can That's do right. this um or if you know whoever is mentoring you or sponsoring you if they switch roles and positions or they walk away you're going to be like wait what who's who's telling me what do I mean <laughs> how do I <laughs> you have to really I love what you said you have to believe in yourself you have to be there for yourself um that's amazing so how long did it take you to make a comfortable living in this new career well I think that is relative because <laughs> I think the that's question true. is what is comfortable um you know I feel like I have been blessed. I count my blessings every single day that I am in a position that I was able to go back to school and that I am able to pursue this new career. But relatively speaking, in terms of salary, um, that's going to depend. So because I started again, I did have to start from the lowest level, um, which was a little bit discouraging to me because I felt like, hold up, I can bring more to this. Um, the upside is I have been able to deliver. So I do believe um, 
I won't have to hang out at that level for too long because when you have, you know, previous experience and that is able to come through, you know, my hope is that that will, I will be rewarded for that. But I think in terms of um, what's comfortable, what's a comfortable living, that depends on so many things. It depends on where you live. It depends on what you consider comfortable. Um, There's something that my husband and I call the butter factor. So if you have time, I'll tell you the story about the butter factor. So growing up, like uh, my family, we didn't have a lot of money. Okay. We just didn't. And so um, we pinched pennies. My mom made it work. We did what we needed to do. And I feel blessed. But there are some things like that were just too far of a stretch, but we were still, I was still content. I was fine. So my husband and I, we got married pretty young. I like, I love to bake. Okay. So I remember like I would bake cookies and stuff, but I always bought margarine because margarine is cheap, right? And recipe always says use a cup of butter or margarine. Well, there came a point one day when we were living over, probably I think we were married about maybe about 10 years at this point, um, where I decided that I wanted to try to make cookies with butter because I'd never used it before. I only used margarine. Butter costs some money. (laughs) So I bought the butter anyway. And then I really liked it. And the more I baked over time, I realized. I was reaching for the butter, not the margarine. And then there was one Christmas, let's say, probably at this point, we'd been married about 15 years. One Christmas, we're at the store, and I'm, we're getting all the stuff. We got to make this, got to get this. And I reached in, and I grabbed like three bricks of butter. Boom, boom, boom. Keep, and then I keep on shopping. And I realized that that was the first time that I had ever reached for the butter, got three of them, and didn't think about it. Like, should I get the butter? And I call that the butter factor because that, that was my metric for feeling like we were comfortable. Like I had enough money that I didn't have to worry if I bought butter or if I bought margarine. Now that's my metric. Somebody else's butter factor could be like whether they can get a certain car or not, or live in a certain kind of house or not, or buy certain shoes or clothes. Um, So I think our butter factor is all going to change. It's going to depend on you and what you're accustomed to and what that measure of success is. And for me, the measure of success was I can make cookies with butter whenever I want to. (laughs) That that was eye-opening for me. You know, um, it may sound silly. So, but I think that's, that's the answer to your question, I guess. I don't know. I think it takes as much time as it takes, and it depends on what your metric is. I love it. I love that. You know, honestly, I was striving to pay attention to, you know, the the story and the meaning of it, but I'm not going to lie. I did get caught up a little bit on the cookies. I was like, ooh, like, <laughs> cookies sound good right now. And, you know, I personally... I'm not always the best in the cooking game. I'm I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm you know evolving. But I was like, ooh, margarine, butter, all these different things. Because <laughs> I just buy the pre-made dough, <laughs> put it in the oven. So no, but I actually I love how you explained that and uh, broke it down. And then I also love, and this is just 
you and your personality, but how content you are with change. And I think that's what people have to get to if they're going through this shift. Because even let alone with starting a new career in general, right out of high school, college, whatever, you have to be content with change. There's a lot of new that's coming at you. There's a lot of, um, you know, this is what you do here on a day-to-day basis. This is your supervisor. These are the meetings you're expected to go to. This is the dynamic. This is, you know, the politics. There's so much change that's happening. I can't even imagine when you finally thought you got used to one career and then switching to another one that you had to adjust to that. And just yeah. how content you are in that and how your your mindset is. And then even with adjusting to it, like financially adjusting, even beforehand when you were a teacher to being in different countries. I mean, that's a lot. You are, what I gathered from that is you're very tenacious. You have a lot of tenacity. <laughs> you're very resilient. Um, and that's extremely commendable. And honestly, it's something I can take back for myself and say, you know, maybe Jay, you can be a little bit different at evaluating things and evaluating life. We live in an instant world. So sometimes when things don't instantaneously happen for me, I go to just really be like, oh my gosh, like it's the end. I'm just, you know, like a child <laughs> about to throw a tantrum or something. Um, so it's, it's really good to learn how to just be content with change and with your growth and uh, where you're at in your stages of evolving. I love it. Mm. So looking back, are you grateful for the shift that brought you to a new career? Was it worth more than who and what you left behind? Or would you rather things have panned out differently? Oh, I'm so grateful. Um, I'm so grateful. I knew it was the right choice. Um, even, Even when I have hard days and I need some of those pick me ups, you know, it's, it was the right choice because I realized uh, what I'm doing is, it really embodies who I am. And it gives me that opportunity to help people at that higher level. So even though, you know, I'm a management consultant, um, one thing is it never gets boring because there's always another project, there's always a new problem to solve. And that's much like teaching anyway. Every school year is a different school year, completely different dynamic, all new kids. And so that's kind of the same. And and the other thing is I have really begun to dive deep into the DEI world, diversity, equity, inclusion. So my office, I am a subject matter expert for DEI. Um, for my my doctoral program, my dissertation topic is about multiracial women striving for executive leadership. So that means that I have done a lot of reading, a lot of studying. My podcast uh, also um, leads me to uh, opportunities to speak to amazing people who are also in this realm. And I'm just about to finish up my certification as a diversity professor, uh, practitioner, as getting my CDP. So. I have this sort of uh, social justice aspect to what I do as well. And so I get a lot of joy knowing that what I'm doing is more than just creating PowerPoints and giving presentations. My clients are amazing. My workplace is amazing. And I get to 
continue to teach because I'm teaching DEI things. I'm developing trainings, delivering trainings. I'm able to consult. And that was the dream, right? I wanted to aim higher and affect change that had a ripple. Something that, what do they call it? The butterfly effect, right? Like the ripple effect. And that's what I get to do. So 100%, I'm grateful. I love it. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, like, I don't know. There's certain times when I can listen to people and I can get chills out of what you're saying. So that was, mm. that was one of those times. Um, so my last question that I ask every guest that comes to the show, what would be three tips or walkaway pieces of advice that you want a listener switching careers to get from hearing this episode? Right. <laughs> okay. Three tips. If I could give three tips, I guess the first one, um, I mean, I, I sort of said this, but I think it's really key is to truly believe in yourself. I have mentioned that I have these moments of insecurity and imposter syndrome. It's important to know that that will come because that's natural, right? It's scary to make those changes, but not to let that get the best of you, not to let that hold you back. Um, so believe in yourself and just go for it. I'd say the second tip I would give is to just accept that change isn't easy. Um, I've had a lot of changes in my life. You mentioned, you know, my moving around, being a military spouse in itself uh, forces you to kind of, accept change because it's like life is a conveyor belt sometimes <laughs> it's just going to keep moving even if you don't move so it's what you do with that motion are you going to embrace that inertia or are you going to just sit down cross your legs and arms and feel like i'm not doing anything but life is going to continue so i feel like it's important to just accept that change happens and if you want to make that change accept that that change is not going to be easy but go for it anyway and i think the last part is um to accept that change isn't easy, but then also not to let any pressure get to you. Or uh, if you decide to make a change and it's not working, to not beat yourself up for it. Like, oh no, I went for this and it's not working. What am I gonna do? And then you continue to stay with it because you feel bad because you've made some sort of investment to go that direction. Or you become bitter and you let that pressure get to you. I think it's better to just accept that it didn't work and say, all right, what's next? Than to stay on that course, even if you did dive in and go for that change, but it hasn't worked out. And, um, you know, my kids, if I hold up two fingers and say two words, they know what these two words are. This is like a motto in my house with my family above all. And those two words are choose joy. If what you're doing does not bring you joy, what is the point? What's the point? You cannot be effectual. You cannot have impact and make a difference for people. If you're walking around with bitterness and pain inside because you're mad about a choice you made, well, here's the news. We all make bad choices. It's just part of being a human. <laughs> the question is, what do you do once you've made that choice? So if you jump in, if you make a shift, 
but it's the wrong shift, it's cool, stick out your thumb, jump back on that conveyor belt and make a new choice because we're here to make a difference in each other's lives. I say make it a positive difference, right? Don't walk around with the bitterness and unhappiness just because it didn't work out. Dust yourself up, pick yourself up, and find out what's next. I love it. Well, thank you, Sean, again, for giving us tips on how to navigate through this, the shift of switching careers. That's all from me. I'm Jay Camille. Thank you guys for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.